0: I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we're so lucky to have with us, coming all the way from Wisconsin, Sean Inderbitsen, who is an author, who is a coach, who is a therapist, who is so much more. Sean, welcome to Exploring Different Brains.
1: Thanks for having me
0: introduce yourself properly because you've done so much here and i got two pages about you but i want to hear from you
1: yes <laughs> yes Uh i mean it's kind of like that right like it's i'm a busy guy um so i'm a motivational interviewing network of trainer trainer um or member so there's this organization called mint and i'm a member um and so Say that again slowly that whole name sure Motivational interviewing network of trainers. Basically, in order to be a part of that, you have to do a training with Bill Miller and Teresa Moyers about how to teach MI. And so I did one of those trainings. So that's really all that means, but like I contract with entities all over the country, right? So like some of my clients have included the state of Oklahoma or the Dan Marino Foundation. So, I mean, it's a pretty common thing, right? Like I'll teach MI. Some of the other stuff I've done, I'm doing my doctorate at Tulane um, in clinical social work and I'm already done my dissertation. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's, and And I still have like a year. Your your doctorate now virtually. Yeah. So I I do it through Tulane school of social work um, virtually. And so we have classes one weekend a month. Um, So yeah, it's really cool. So for mine, I did a big grant um, application for the state of Oklahoma and won it. Um, so that was half of my dissertation and then the other half was on a kid with autism and anxiety I treated using physical exercises and intervention. And that sort of lends me to my other part of my career, which is really autism and mental health and the intersection. So I do a combination of things between like speaking on mental health and autism. I do some research on autism and trauma. Um, And specifically on EMDR and autism. And now I'm looking at doing some sensory motor psychotherapy research on autism. And then I practice clinically with people with autism at about 30% of my caseload. And I work in a community mental health center. So, uh,
0: what are your own personal diagnoses if you want to share with our audience?
1: Sure. I think there's a pretty reasonable case for PTSD um, based on some of the stuff I've been through. Um, I was diagnosed with Asperger's at 18. And then at 12, I was diagnosed with ADHD. But I really believe that's anxiety. And my current therapist would probably agree with you. Um, So yeah, so anxiety, autism, and probably PTSD.
0: Well, you know, one of the reasons we started Different Brains was, I don't think anything exists in isolation. So I think you always have mental health issues. If you have a neurodiversity over here, developmental, you have learning differences. If you have neurological issues such as epilepsy, how are you going to have any of these things without anxiety, without a little depression, a little PTSD, you know, I mean,
1: come on. Can I I share some symptoms that are common between both autism and PTSD? I wish Um, you would
0: because I want to focus. I know it's your big interest. That intersection you just spoke about, yeah. autism and PTSD.
1: Yeah. Hit it. So why don't we first start with some symptoms that are in both, and then we can just drop into it however you like. Um, so symptoms that you would find in both diagnoses include withdrawal, lack of eye contact, issues with trust, avoidance of others, no response to name, reduced sharing of interest, frequent comorbid anxiety and depression, difficulty with relationships, tantrum, self-harming behaviors, frequent nightmares and sleep problems, changes in appetite or frequent eating problems, hyper or hypo sensitivity to sound, smell, touch, taste, light, disassociation, or lives in their own world, um, deficits in abstract reasoning and language development, or difficulty rigid behaviors. And so Stephen Porges has this really interesting idea that like, hey, people might not be either autistic or have PTSD, they might just right? Like have some symptoms and that's
0: how we've named them. And you bring up an excellent point because one of the things I want to try to do is let me get into this backwards. Um, Okay. The reason I wrote Asper tools, the practical guide to understanding and embracing Asperger's autism, neurodiversity was, and the, the publisher HCI books who did chicken soup for the soul, which has since been absorbed by Simon Schuster, They weren't too thrilled. I wanted to add neurodiversity. They said, why are you putting that in? Make it just Asperger's and autism, I said, because I now realize coming into this with a fresh set of eyes, because I'm not a professional, that it's all brains are different. We're all on this giant spectrum. None of this occurs in isolation. So they gave it. And so what I'm finding, if I go in reverse, the reason I wrote Asper tools And one thing we're very focused here at Different Brains is giving people tools they can use to help whatever, whatever it is. I don't care what you got. I care. How can I help you? And so many of these tools help all of the above. Exercise, a good diet, having a full dance card. Yeah. And the big, big toughest one I think of that is common for all of them is socialization. I think that's-
1: Right. I mean that is basically right like your um I'm trying to think ventral vagus system right so there's the ventral vagal system which is responsible for socialization and then there is the dorsal vagal system and what Porges finds in his work on people with autism and people with trauma because he's the originator of polyvagal theory and what he finds is that there's a lot of parallels between the way people with PTSD socialize and the way people with autism socialize because that that dorsal vagal system basically right like is or it's either the it's it's like the fight flight freeze the that part of it the not not the dorsal vagal system the ventral vagal oh, system. the
0: amygdala we well fight. yeah
1: the amygdala basically is underdeveloped is really mm-hmm. what it kind of boils down to right so like the amygdala goes into fight flight freeze way easier um, when it's underdeveloped, because when you're exposed to trauma again and again and again and again, right? Like it basically fries your sense of normal over and over and over again. So, like the way I explain it, like with my brain to my clients is right. Like right down here is the back here, the lower brain, right? Like the reptilian brain, the prehistoric what? the prehistoric right? The prehistoric brain is reacting to like, what it perceives as a threat, right? And so it's called the limbic system. And so it kind of like millions of years ago when we had saber toothed tigers story about that was a great thing. But now, right, like no saber toothed tigers, a lot of time that alarm system goes off when there's no real threat. Right. Like and so when you have autism, right, like you enter into that much easier is sort of the belief.
0: Let me let me just shift gears a little bit. Go for it. You recently shared some of your experiences with PTSD. Can you talk to us about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. What particularly would be helpful to illustrate? Uh, Would it be some of the intersections or more of the... um, So, I mean, I'll just, I'll pull up the article here and we can kind of talk through some of what I wrote. Would that be okay? Sure. All right. So I start off by talking about, right, like my loved one walks out of my life, never turned back, still hasn't. Um, And I quote this artist, Black Bear, who's phenomenal. If you've never heard him, give him a listen. But it's this song, Me and Your Ghost. And he's like, I'm not alone. It's just me and your ghost. This crippling depression I thought i learned my lesson. Right? And so one of the things about, like, I was engaged to this gal. And one of the things was she dissociated a year before, right? Like, she actually has a diagnosis that supports disassociation. So when Black Bear says, right, like, I'm not alone, it's just me and your ghost It this crippling depression. I thought I learned my lesson that, I really should have learned my lesson, but I didn't, because, right, love, it's this fickle thing. Um, And so it kind of hits just right at home, Um, because, right, like, I'll, like the other night, for instance, right, like I'm, I have this sweater, this cardigan that is beautiful, it's wool, it's brown, or it's not brown, it's gray and blue. Um, it's got a neat pattern and it's from her grandparents. And like I literally just looked at it and that was enough, right. To bring back her ghost to make me want to reach out, be like, Hey, how you doing?" <laughs> like, but like, I know, right. Like when someone's subject to addiction, right. Like to quote Gaber Mate, um, Gabe, do you know who Gaber Mate is or no?
0: I'm ignorant. Don't.
1: Um. So Gaber Mate wrote a book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. And he talks a lot about the relationship between um, addiction and trauma. And he talks about how passion gives and enriches, addiction is a thief. And kind of that idea, right? Like me reaching out to my ex, right? Like addictions, a thief, passion, right? Like, well, they're very similar addiction and um, passion. One generates and one robs, right? And like this whole experience, I was, robbed of my loved one I was robbed of the person who was going to be a stepmother to my kids my kids were robbed of that experience and so um so yeah the flashbacks when I like so when I see a cardigan that right like shouldn't have any memory or energy this thing has all this memory and energy that like just has me ruminating about all the times we have and the tricky part about it is right like my heart wants to believe like oh I'll if I reach out to her, I'll get what I once got, which was that dopamine fix that, like, I had a loving relationship with this person, and, like, yeah, instead...
0: Of arrow and you'll feel better.
1: Right, exactly, and it's exactly the same parallel, right? That's like... this thing I never thought of it like that. <clears throat> well, and Mate talks about why the pain, right? Like, why the pain? And I think if you focus on the pain in PTSD, it gets a lot easier to move through, because, right, like, Addiction, like giving myself that dopamine fix, trying to text, or thankfully I didn't, but wanted to, right? Like, it would have given me a dopamine fix that wouldn't have given me any results, right? Like, my life is moving forward and it only moves forward as long as I don't go backwards, right? Like, there's this quote it's like, depression, you're looking back and staring, anxiety, alert, you're looking forward and staring, and then there's just right now. And so the trick is to try and be in the right now. And so I feel like, right, like the depression part of PTSD very much is this idea that if I go back to that addiction, right, like that failed relationship where that person is addicted to something, right, like that robbed me of all this joy, right, like hmm. I'm not so going to get through it. Tell us
0: about um, internal family systems therapy.
1: So, I internal family systems therapy was created by Charles. Schwartz, Dr. Charles Schwartz. And basically it posits that the self is not just one being, right? Like it's this continuum of parts of self, right? So like for me, um, right? Like I have some defender parts. I have some exile parts. Defender parts are the ones that try to protect us. And, and whereas exile parts are really like the parts that are trying to be protected, right? And so there are all these different parts. So like for me and with my therapist, one of the things we worked on is I have this defender part that really is a chameleon, right? Like it will, it's agile. Like and it's weird to think that like metaphor can be such a useful way to access, but right. Like when I access these parts, right? Like I have this one part, this defender part, it's like a chameleon that changes shape in order to actually write like and so when I spent some time with it, right, like it shows up as a suit of armor, but then, right, like it's Avatar the Airbender and it's this little monk, like sits in this whirling ball of air. And I realize this sounds crazy, but it's really neural pathways integrating, right? Like it might be metaphor, but right, like this defender part of myself is very much my amygdala keying up, right? Like it's like this defender part is very much this amygdala like gearing up, for a fight, it's like, are you gonna hurt me? So you just kind of sit with it and be mindful, kind of like in boxing, where you have to be then, right? Like when you work with your parts, you have to be there. And if not, right? Like it won't you pass. And so a lot of it is learning how to make peace with those defender parts so you can get at some of those exile parts, right? Because those exile parts are usually connected to a traumatic memory that hasn't scored. um And so what I mean by that is, right? Like, this idea, right? Like that my ex left without reason, right? Like that memory can't store properly because it doesn't fit the logic of attachment theory, right? Like attachment theory posits that you spend time with one another, right? Like it's sort of like interlocking, like like a levy, right? Like it interlocks, right? You shouldn't be able to rip it apart. And so when she left, it just completely ripped that apart. Like the memory can't go Doesn't it doesn't compute. Right, right. And that's the dysregulating part, right? Like of my experience. That's why the flashbacks. That's why when I look at the sweater, I'm like, I want to go back to her. And it's like, no. (laughs) Right? Like it's this really, really dark, dark place, but no, it doesn't, doesn't give us what we need. Right. Like it doesn't create serotonin.
0: What advice would you have for our audience who are on the spectrum? about the type of therapist they should see?
1: I think the number one predictor of success for a person's ability to heal in therapy, which is really articulately argued by Bruce Wampold, is that the modality doesn't matter so much as that you with autism have a relationship with your therapist. Right? Like over and over and over again, there have been studies to say this therapy is more effective than this one and that. While, while there are a lot of those studies, it has like a 0.2 effect size versus like treat like your therapeutic alliance, it's like a 0.6 or 0.7 effect size. And while there are far fewer studies on that, those ones yield the greatest impact in therapy. So if somebody with autism, so if you have trauma, I think finding a therapist you can connect with and have a relationship with is not like, oh, you have autism, right? Like, because that's a thing that is totally a thing when you have autism, right? Like therapist will chew you out of your office just because you have that diagnosis and yeah, so
0: it's, it's really a shame that i find that nobody gets that's an overstatement but uh is it? it's amazing <laughs> to me that psychologists and psychiatrists and mds like myself i'm an orthopedic surgeon by trade um, okay get zero training you know and in in autism and in neurodiversity in general. They get zero. Pediatricians don't know about this stuff. They don't get training in it unless they took a special course in it. And, And then there's so many things that are higher incidence in the autism community that are problems is the wrong word. They're just differences in issues like the transgender issue. Okay. It's just a much higher incidence in the autistic community. So how can I coach somebody or be a psychologist to somebody if I don't know anything about autism if they also have autism and the wiring in their brain is such, you know, it's well fun.
1: and I I mean maybe I, I fall with Bruce Lampold, but right, like as a therapist, my ability to help someone doesn't like while wow, right? Like if somebody with disassociative identity disorder, right? Like that's a very special set of issues. Like that's a very particular way of working with someone, but autism, right? Like these are people like I have this conversation with Valerie Gauss sometimes. She's like, if you had cancer and you went to the doctor, they wouldn't say, we're not going to treat you because you have cancer, right? Like that'd be insane. It's the same thing with autism, but like for whatever reason.
0: With the analogy you just gave, okay. If I'm a cardiologist and I'm treating somebody for their heart condition and they also have cancer, all right. I have to know a little bit about cancer in order to treat that patient properly. If I'm a psychologist and the patient has cancer, I have to have read a little bit about specific mental health issues with people with cancer. So I would push back a little bit on that because there are, are certain um, certain things unique to autism that don't mean you shouldn't treat that. It just means, wouldn't it be helpful if I had some additional oh, training in it? Yeah,
1: that's- absolutely. I mean, that's- they absolutely should get more training. That's not yeah. my argument. My argument is more about access, right? Like if I have autism and I'm a mom of a kid who is just like ending up in the emergency room and every time I go to a therapist, right? Like they're like, oh, you have autism. I can't treat you, right? Like- well, that's No, that's not right. That well, I, right. It is so not right. And that's my point, right? Like, it's that there are trainings out there. Like, I can think of three, right? Like, I have one, Wisconsin Autism Society has another. And then there's this lady named Tasha Rollins who has another, right? Like, and we work with clinicians to improve confidence, right? Like, that's the outcome we measure. Like, mine is statistically significant with my program through UW-Eau Claire like it has a large effect size. And so, I mean, mine's specifically geared towards mental health, but right? Like there are only five MSW programs in the country, masters of social work programs that teach about developmental delays and autism, right? Like this is a problem at a systemic educational level, right? Like this is a big freaking problem because if you had cancer and you go to the doctor, right? Like you're not gonna like get sent away because you have cancer, you're going to like, get sent to an oncologist, right? Like if you're a cardiothoracic surgeon, right? Like, and you have a case patient with cancer, you're going to defer your expertise to the oncologist, but it's not like, right? Like we're not going to do something to help the person because that's what happens, right? Like the patients and the, to come to see me, right? Like they end up going to higher and higher levels of treatment because they end up an inpatient. And then Like there's a local inpatient unit and I won't say which for like my own liability's sake, right? But, um, right? Like they honest to God, right? Like they'll send people down to the state mental institute, right? And these kids come out with trauma because they don't know what they're doing. And they make it worse when they very much went to the hospital to get help, right? So if our systems of care are harming people, I sort of wonder if we have bigger problems
0: Tell us about the course you have coming up for the University of Wisconsin.
1: Sure. Sure. So my course is really addressed to meet this need of lack of confidence and lack of um, ability, right? Like, so I kind of go back to that research by Bruce Wampold and say, biggest predictor of success in therapy or psychology, right? Like, isn't whether or not you have some specialized knowledge. Like what we know from the research is that has a 0.2 effect size, right? But the 0.6 effect size is your ability to form a relationship with a person. And so really what my course does is it works with clinicians to like figure out what do you already know that you can use to create a relationship with this client who has autism. And so the way it's structured is it's two hours of lecture and then it's five half hour consultations with me and other members of the cohort. So um, it's coming up in February. I think it's the 16th or the 17th, but we'd love to have you join us.
0: Tell our audience how they can learn more about you and follow you and
1: learn. Yes, yeah. from- so they can go on LinkedIn. Um, I have Um, and you can look up seanendrobitson.com on LinkedIn and I have a profile there. Um, I'm on Different Brains too. So I blog with you guys so they can follow me there. Um, you can go to PESI and look for me. Um, I have a training on motivational interviewing and autism there that you can take if you're interested. There's some recordings there, or um, you can go to my website to contact me directly at seaninderbitson.com.
0: seaninderbitson.com. That's the place to go. Great.
1: Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of goodies there. So,
0: Sean, what is one piece of advice you have for someone with autism? that has experienced a trauma.
1: One piece of advice that I have for somebody who has autism and has experienced trauma is find a therapist you trust, right? Like there's nothing more important than that, finding someone you trust.
0: Well, Sean and it's been such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for enlightening us. And I gotta say the intersection of PTSD And autism is a fascinating one, as well as all the other things you're doing. Thank you so much for everything you're doing.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at
1: differentbrains.org.